Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Janie, I, I need you to help me just get the show off on, on a good note by calming me down. Okay. okay. This, this, this is what I need you to tell me. So let, let's practice here. Okay. Jeff, it's $2. It's not worth getting upset about. Jeff, it's only $2. Don't lose your mind. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, I, okay, that good. That that is a calming thing. What could be? All right. Here, here, well, here's the here's the story, and it's it's the, it's the little things. I am not one of these guys that drives all over town to save money on gas. I mean, there, you know, there's some people that like look at Gas Buddy and they'll drive, you know, halfway across town to save a few. But I'm not that guy. Convenience is important to me. Except except okay. Here here's my events of the day. So I live in Ozaki County. I need gas. I'm down to like an eighth of a tank of gas, and, you know, you never know what traffic. So as I'm leaving my house, there's a couple gas stations, and they're they're charging $2.89 a gallon for gas, okay, up in Ozaki County. Okay. So, but I think, you know, I, I think I can do better. I bet you, because I, I think it's, it's cheaper down, you know, in, in Milwaukee County and stuff. That seems like it's a little pricey. So I get on the freeway, I-43. I'm heading south, coming to work, and as you just reported, there, there's all this construction, so... It's. I think it's worse now. The backups, but right as you get to Brown Deer Road, it's everything stopped. So I was able to get off on Brown Deer Road. So I get off on Brown Deer Road, and I'm going to come down Port Washington Road. Well, in the corner of Brown Deer and Port Washington Road, there's a gas station, and okay, I I keep thinking it's cheaper, but I look and it's two ninety two. Oh so boy. It's, a, it's but but I need gas. I want to get to work. All right, I figure it's only a couple cents. What the heck? So I pull into the whatever it is. Fill up my tank to pay two dollars and ninety-two cents a gallon. All right, fine. No, 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 no. So I paid three cents more than I did if I buy my home. Get get on Port Washington Road and start snaking my way down, trying to get to to the station. Sure. Come past, and of course that's all clogged up too. So I'm I'm now taking back roads through Bayside and Fox Point and Whitefish Bay, and I get into Whitefish Bay around where I used to live, and I pass a couple of these other gas stations. All right. Well, it's only a couple miles. How much could the difference be? Two dollars and sixty nine cents. So by yeah, yes, two dollars and two dollars and sixty nine cents in Whitefish Bay, two dollars and ninety two cents in Fox Point, two eighty nine where I live. So I ended up and again I filled up my tank, let's say it's ten gallons. If I would have done what I intended to do, held out till I got into Whitefish Bay, I would have paid two sixty nine a gallon. Instead I paid I paid the highest price possible, two ninety two. I understand it's only a difference of two bucks, but it's been frosting me all morning. So, Jane, now your line—it's <laughs> been frosting me all morning. So, so now your line is Jeff. Calm down. It's two dollars. <laughs> if that's the biggest thing you have to worry about, you're in pretty good shape. All right, exactly. But but it's it's it is kind. Of, I'm thinking of like all the things you know. I pee two dollars away on, but it was just kind of like, hmm. All right, so. You're laughing. It, it, it's, it's a, I just should have stuck with my original plan. I don't know what motivated me to do that, and I don't understand why gas is twenty cents, twenty five cents cheaper four miles away. You know, but, but regardless, 
I contributed. I contributed to the economy in uh, Milwaukee County. So you guys should be happy with that. Hey, I mentioned this to Steve. And I do want to throw in a free plug for something that's great and and free. Last night, I went down to the lakefront, Discovery World, which is you know right by summer, just to the north of the Summerfest grounds and Harbor House and all that type of stuff. Behind Discovery World, they have this little kind of amphitheater area um, you know, that steps uh, that people can sit on, and then there's an, an area above that where you can put out chairs and they had a couple tables. Every Wednesday night, starting for the next, I guess the next four weeks, starting last week, last night, the, the Rotary Club, the Milwaukee Rotary Club, sponsors free concerts. And, you know, I, I, what, what attracted me to this, I wasn't even aware of this, except I'm a huge fan, of, again, of Jimmy Buffett and his Coral Reefer bands. The lead guitarist is a guy named Peter Mayer, um, who's been playing with Buffett for 30 years. I've heard him before. And he has his own, you know, band, uh, a guy named Scott Kirby and his son Brendan. They, they, they were playing there last night. And it's a, it's a free show. There were a couple hundred people there. You know, mostly, I think people, some people involved with the Rotary and some people who were Buffett fans. But, you know, we went down there, Fran and I and our friends, John and Mary and Maggie and Dale. We went down there. First time I'd been down there for that. We just had the greatest time. You know, sat there and they have a bar and bar a lot as caters. So you can go get a couple sandwiches or quesadillas or whatever. And the music started at six and it lasted till nine. It was a, just a perfect night. Did I mention the whole thing was free and i was actually talking to a guy from the rotary club last night he said yeah this is you know we do this and the frustration is that nobody knows about this um because i I don't say there's nobody there there were a couple hundred people there but if it got publicized more there there would be a thousand people i thought we were going to gee if if we get there at 5 15 are we going to be able to get a space yeah there's no problem it is a wonderful event so if you're looking for something on Wednesday nights, and they're going to be doing it for the next four Wednesday nights. If you're looking for something, you know, fun, free, good music, they've got different bands. Next week, it's a bluegrass band. We, I can't do it. I've got something up there. But we'll, we'll definitely go back a time or two. So kudos to the Milwaukee Rotary Club and just a, a wonderful thing. All right. When we come back. All right. Maybe you don't have to pull over to the side of the road if you're listening, but I, I want you to make sure when, when you hear this story, you, you've got the steering wheel, if you're driving, gripped in both hands because... There is a word which has apparently caused at least a handful of people's heads to absolutely explode. I will tell you that word. I will tell you the context, and we will discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, Cream Puffa Palooza is back. Come help us fill the parking lots of State Fair with your chance to win a three-pack of famous cream puffs. Join me. I will be there to give them away to the first 620 vehicles that show up. That's next Wednesday, starting at 6.20 a.m. That's Wednesday, July 31st. That is, of course, the day before the State Fair starts. First, 620 cars get a three-pack of cream puffs. I will tell you my past experiences. People start lining up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's actually kind of a fun thing to go out there and participate in. But the first 620 cars, I will give you a a free three-pack of cream puffs for official rules of this promotion. Visit WTA. 
tmj.com. He was talking about the Discovery World experience. If you want to kind of see what the backdrop to this show was, I've got a picture of myself and my lovely wife, Fran, posted. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 We are down at Discovery World. This is before it kind of got dark, but you can just see the backdrop. I mean, you want to go see a, I mean, you want to see a concert and stuff, free concert that I mentioned it was free, you know, with the backdrop of Lake Michigan, just absolutely spectacular. So posted a photo of the two of us down there taking in the show last night. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. Here, here is the controversy. It is a city in South Carolina. Now, again, it's the city of Tega K City. All right, here, here's, here's what happens. A local women's club donates a monument. Okay, it's like a stone monument. And it's placed in front of the police department. All right? Now, the, the stone monument, I'm kind of actually looking at before and after pictures of this. It says, take a K police department. Now, why would this be controversial? Well, again, I, I want I want to make sure I, I want to make sure that you know you're you're you don't drive off the road when you hear hear this particular story. Um, the women's club on this monument, what they do is on the front of it, at the bottom, there is a reference to Matthew five nine. And that is from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So th- that that's that saying isn't there, but but the reference at the bottom of the front page of the monument front of the monument, Matthew five nine. So that's what it says. It references to Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. On the back, the reverse side of the monument, and here's I mean, here's where it it, it perhaps gets controversial for you. They have put and engraved is what's called a police officer's prayer. And, and this is this is not unique to this city. This is a well-known thing. Here's what a police officer's prayer says. And this is engraved on the back of the monument. It says, Lord, I ask for courage, courage to face and conquer my own fears, courage to take me where others will not go. I ask strength strength of body to protect others, and strength of spirit to lead others. I ask for dedication, dedication to my job to do it well, dedication to my community to keep it safe. Give me, Lord, concern for those who trust me and compassion for those who need me. And please, Lord, through it all, be at my side. Right? That's that's the police officer's prayer. That is engraved on the back of the monument. It's put in front of the police department. All right. Now, Gru, would you like to guess what what it is about that, that engraving? What one word in particular causes the problems? Well, it has to have something to do with religion, I would guess. It is the word Lord, L-O-R-D. <clears throat> so, all right, to post this there, the police officer's prayer, um, at the first city council meeting after it's up, you have one, 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 one. Did I mention one? One resident who goes in and says he is appalled and offended that the word Lord, L-O-R-D, appears on the back of this monument that is now in front of the police department. And he demands that it be taken down. Take this down. So what happens next? The Common Council, oh my gosh, we've got somebody that's offended over the word Lord. 
So what they do, I'm not making this up, is they scrub the word Lord off of the monument. It appears three times in the prayer. So they, they scrub it off. They remove the word Lord. So you've taken it, any references to God out of this. And, of course, you, you do that, and it, it doesn't have any context at all. Well, then a bunch of other people say, what the heck is going on here? Or words to that effect. I say, what do you mean you're taking the word Lord off of this? You know, it, are, are, have we lost our minds? And so the city council, you know how they respond? They remove the whole thing. But this all starts because one whiny resident complains about the word Lord on the back, and he didn't like the biblical reference on the front either. But the big objection was Lord, and the response of the city council is to remove the monument. Right now, last time I checked, this was one nation under God. And last time I checked, when I pull out a bill from my wallet, and I'm one of these people that still carry cash, those bills say, in God we trust. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In America in 2019, can you not have a monument that contains, uh, again, a prayer that mentions the word Lord in it? 414-799-1620. I say shame on the city council for giving in to, again, that one politically correct, perpetually offended person who decides they want to whine about this. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. One guy protests at a city council meeting saying religious references like the word Lord in the law enforcement officer's prayer shouldn't be included on a public monument. Really? What about, I think, one nation under God or in God we trust? Let's start with Tom and Eagle. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. I told the streener this. What I don't understand is this person has a right to complain, but what board agreed 100% that this should be done? <laughs> well, right, yeah, you're, you're, yes, and I, I agree with what you're saying. You're always going to get that one person, that politically correct, perpetually offended person who wakes up looking for something to offend them. I, I agree with you. That's the question. What bunch of idiots decided to go along with this? That's the bigger issue. That's where we should have the question. Are you going to represent us, or are you going to fold for every time somebody walks in and cries about something? Well, yes, now, exactly. And, of course, now keep in mind, just a couple months ago, the U.S. Supreme Court came out with a decision that, remember, they, they upheld the cross on, on the public lands. And, and, I mean, I think that's just the start, as we try to, uh, again, issue some normalcy into this. Now, I understand that here, here's part of the problem. And I, I appreciate it to an extent. You have these public bodies, whether they're school boards or city councils or whatever, who are deathly afraid that the anti-religion kooks are going to file lawsuits 
drag them into court and cause the cities to have to expend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawsuits defending these type of things. So what happens a lot of times is the city councils just they, they back down because I, I get it. They've got road to re- roads to repair. They've got all they've got police officers to pay. You know, they don't want to spend a bunch of money. And so they get intimidated by, again, it's the tyranny of the minority, the folks that go around and, well, somebody's offended about this. So. Who would think that you would scrub the word Lord off of this? I mean, really, that's their that's their response. Well, we agree with the sentiments, but, you know, we don't want to make it look like a prayer. So we're going to scrub the word Lord off of it. I mean, really, you know, you, you look at the, the Constitution and, and what it says is that, you know, Congress, that, you know, government shall shall not establish a particular establish a religion. OK, really? OK, having this particular prayer. And again, if, if you don't want to read it. If you want to ignore or omit the word Lord, that's fine. But this establishes a religion. Give me a break. 414-799-1620. Here's a couple texts. Jeff, my guess is the offended person does not mind getting holiday pay for federal holidays because of of the Lord. Um, Yes, 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 yes. Let's see. Jeff, just remember when just remember um, when some people are offended by the Confederate flag and everything about the Confederacy, which was a major part of U.S. history. Just be prepared because this is just starting. Well, it, it is. Jeff, we live in a post-Christian nation. It's going to get much worse. I think there's something about, you know, that. Uh, Jeff, this is taking place in the South um, where you've got a number of deeply religious people there. I'm amazed that they didn't just tell this guy to get lost. Yeah, see, to me, that's the response. It's just, look, thanks for your input. We appreciate it. But you know what? You know, we don't feel that this is establishing a religion. This is a monument dedicated to police officers. This is a common police officer's prayer. It is something that, you know, you find in police departments all over the country. And, yeah, we're sorry you're offended by it. But you know what? You know, sometimes... Sometimes you don't have to grease the squeaky wheel. You just let it squeak, and sooner or later, it's going to fall off. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. I want to start off this topic. One of my colleagues sent me an email today, and... See, Gru, I, I know you always cringe when we make fun of millennials and stuff, but but there's a reason why there are certain stereotypes. Now, I, I have always believed, by the way, that when it comes to success in business, 80% of it is showing up. Now, I mean, that, that you, you mean you talk to a lot of people. No, people just don't show up. You know, you hire somebody and they're gone after three days. Now, right, because if you don't show up, you can't, you know, you can't show, you know, what a good employee you you are. So, I mean, I've always said 80% of it's showing up. Okay, so here, a friend of mine forwarded this to me. He said, okay, that he had just got this from a colleague of his, somebody that he knows, who was sending this around. Okay, so it's some young man who is sending out a resume looking for a job. Okay, so the resume on one side lists skills, quick learner. Willing to pick up extra tasks, willing to help coworkers, open-minded, love learning new things, good listener, follows directions, fluent in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and most technology. All right, that's pretty cool. I mean, that that's that sounds like good. List the list the guy's experience, not necessarily long in experience, but that's not it. But that's the skill. So you say, okay, this works. Then you get to the category under his resume. He has objective. 
Here's what his objective is. I am seeking a career with a company that will be able to work with my available schedule. I would I would love a place with a fun working environment that encourages me to do my best. But the way he starts this off, he wants a career with a company that will be able to work with my available schedule. All right, I'm trying to imagine if when I was looking for jobs when I was in law school, I went out to those different law firms and said, you know, I really want to be a lawyer. I really want to work here, but I'm hoping you can work around my available schedule to help me start my career. I really, I, I really want to be a radio talk show host. I, I'd love to be able to do this, but can you work around my available schedule? I want to get into sales. You know, I, here, I, I just, I want to be the top selling fill in the blank. I want to be the best widget salesman in Wichita Falls, Kansas. But, you know, can you work with my available schedule? Gru, you're looking at me. I don't see the point in having an objective on a resume because isn't the objective to just get the to, job just to get the job right, right ex- exactly right to get right to, so why even have it on there? That's, well, well it's already obvious well, well right e- exactly now maybe also in the back of your maybe this is what you're thinking you know okay i, I i've got my available schedule i like to well i don't like to get up too early i like to kind of sleep till 10 and then i kind of roll out of bed and walk the dog and stuff so I, i'm looking for a job that doesn't start before 12 and i, I kind of want i like to you know during the summers i like to have fridays off and things like that so i understand that in the back of your mind you might be wanting you know you might want to find this job that works for your with your available schedule but right why would you say that and and that's that's what the guy leads with it's not hey i really want to be a lawyer or all my life i've wanted to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office, or you know, I have dreamed of being a radio talk show host, or, or whatever. You lead with, "I'm seeking a career in a company that will be able to work with my available schedule." I, I mean, if I'm if I'm the person reviewing the resumes, and you're trying to decide, okay, this is a close call. Do I bring somebody back for an interview, or do I put this in the circular file? To me, this goes straight in the shredder. I'm working for somebody who will be available to work with my available schedule. But part of that is this kind of overall sense of, of entitlement. Okay, that's the lead-in to the story that I, I want to talk about. I understand times change, but I will tell you, going back back in the day when I was in high school, one of the things that lots and lots of high school kids – wanted to do is they wanted to find summer jobs and you know the, the people that were able to get summer jobs they were held with a a certain level of 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 esteem because you know they had the extra money i mean you know if, if you had that that job in the summer you know you were making the dough so you could afford to go out at night and do these things it was a badge of honor to have a summer job. And a lot of times that summer job translated into, you know, a job in the fall or the winter, etc. So that the people that were working always had kind of that, that extra spending money and things like that. I will tell you, and I've, I've told this story on the radio before, I mean, my first job outside of shoveling snow and cutting lawns and delivering papers and stuff. I worked at this old treasure there used to be a Treasure Island store on Green Bay and Brown Deer Road. It was like a it was like a, a discount version of JC Penney's. I worked in the toy department. Uh, you know, and it was you know, it's stocking shelves. I mean it was it was it was very menial sort of work, but it was it was work. And I can remember the thrill of getting the paychecks and seeing how much they took out in taxes. And it really 
it, it, it kind of helped me understand when you sit there and say, okay, I, I want to do this or I want to buy that or whatever, and instead of mom and dad just giving you the money, you have to look at it and think, gosh, I remember how hard, if I want to spend 50 bucks on something, I remember how long I had to work to make 50 bucks. I, I mean, I just thought it was just a great experience, plus it taught you, it taught you about life. It taught you that you had to show up. Uh, you know, you, you know you're, you're supposed to be there. All right, well, maybe you got all sorts of other stuff that you'd, you know, rather do. Maybe it's not convenient with your available schedule, but you got a job. And the job says that, you know, you're supposed to be there from 4.30 to 9. And maybe there's all sorts of things you'd rather do. Some of your buddies are going out for pizza or whatever. Well, you can't make it because you have to show up. I think, you know, beyond just the money, which was nice. It was, you know, just the idea of working to teach you a regimen to get you to show up. I, I thought there was a huge value. I bring this up because there's a big story in the Chicago Tribune today talking about how no work is becoming the new normal for for high school kids. And I mean, the numbers are kind of staggering. Brookings just came out with a report that only one out of three. Teenagers between the ages of 16 and 19 are looking for a job, either in the summer or in the fall. Now, that's down dramatically from 2000, 20 years ago, when more than half of the teens were in the labor force. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty staggering drop. Less than 20 years ago, you had one of two teenagers who were, like, looking for jobs, doing summer jobs, etc. That's now down to, you know, one out of three. Um, instead, it says nearly last year, nearly a third of teens enrolled in summer school and were not seeking work. 2000, just one in seven teens were exclusively summer school students. And what they're saying is that, you know, part of the motivation for this is now everybody's interested in kind of um, shining up their college resumes. That, that's the idea. Here, you want to go to band camp. You want to go to debate camp. You want to go to basketball camp. You want to do this activity. You want to do that activity. And that that all, in the minds of some, counts more than working. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to sound like this hopeless old fogey on this, because I don't think I am. I think parents who do not make their children work in the summer – and during the school year, I think they're missing out on an opportunity to help their kids learn stuff that candidly will benefit them and stay with them their entire life. And let me add this. I have some friends who are several sets of friends who are extremely well off, right? Their kids would not have had to work I mean, you know, mom and dad could have certainly afforded to give an allowance. And in the case of every one of these people I'm picturing now, they made their kids work. That was the expectation. You know, you're going to go out and, and you're going to get a part-time job. And you're going to do this because we want you to learn all those benefits that come with work. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we missing out by not encouraging kids to work. And I understand the justification is, oh, everybody's busy now, and you've got basketball camp, and you've got band camp, and you've got football camp, and we've got all these things, and people are so overscheduled. Well, I, I think we're missing out because I, I think whether it's the summer job or it's the part-time job during the year, I, I think there is an inherent value to that. 
Certainly was with me. Okay, Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Are we missing out on stuff by, I don't know, not saying to kids, hey, you should be out there trying to find that, that job? Stick around. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, here's a text to kind of jumpstart the conversation. Jeff, is it really such a bad thing that kids are enjoying their youth instead of wasting time working? Huh. I mean, come on. We work our lives away. They have plenty of time for that in the future. Our society norms are not always correct. Wasting time working. No, that my point is you're not wasting your time by working. Actually, you're learning all sorts of life skills that I think benefit you as you grow older. And I don't know, enjoying your youth instead of wasting time working. I, I think my guess is if you think back, if, if you worked at various jobs when you were in high school or whatever, I think maybe you'll, you'll look back and you'll say, you know, I, I, I made some friends there. I had some fun. I, I learned some stuff. I mean, I would not have known. I would have known I, this was not my world, which was you know going off to a loading dock and bringing games and stuff on skids to a to department store. I, that's that wasn't part of where I intended to be for the rest of my life. But I, it was a learning experience. Dean in New Berlin. Dean, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, I agree with your comment. You know, I'll give a contrast here between my daughter and my son-in-law. My daughter went through school. She had a part-time job, babysat, worked summers was able to pay for some of her own expenses, made the normal mistakes teenagers do, got fired, got jobs, and learned. Right. My son-in-law, his parents wouldn't let him, so he went through high school, jobless, went to college, jobless, got his engineering degree, admittedly six years on a four-year degree, and when he graduated, couldn't find a job. No one would hire him because he was average, he was behind, he had no experience, yep. so he had to reestablish, started part-time at Target, stocking shelves. Really? Yeah, and right, because you had, you had nothing nothing by way of, like, real-world experience. No, thank, thanks for coming. Look, and I guess, see, I just, I think it, it's a false premise that, well, Jeff, you don't understand, you know, you... you you know, everybody's so busy nowadays, and every, you've got you've got to you've got to get this stuff on your college resume. You know, you've got to get the band camp, and you've got to get the the junior achievement. You've got to get the student council. And I'm not knocking any of that stuff, but the idea that it comes at the expense of maybe getting a job and showing that you can have real world responsibilities. Huh? Okay, here's a text, Jeff. I was a three sport athlete, had basketball camp, football camp, and a busy summer, but I worked. If I wanted nicer clothes or a car or gas to put in said car, it came from the money. I earned. It taught me how to appreciate what I have because I worked for that. My children will also work, maybe not as much as I did, but if they want extra money on things I won't buy them, they will work for them. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, wasting time on your youth? Really? Uh, I think that uh, getting a job, I got a part-time job when I was uh, 16 and my son's working part-time now. It, it's the most rewarding thing to learn responsibility, getting some extra cash, learning the value of a dollar, and getting social skills and everything else, right. uh, there is no better experience. 
Right. And, and, and see, and I don't buy this idea that you're, you know, like your son or daughter or whatever who does that can't also have a social life and can't also, you know, do tennis camp or, or whatever. I mean, I think you can do all that type of stuff. Now, you might have to pick and choose and you might have to have priorities and you might have to say, okay, well, I can't do science camp and tennis camp and band camp and debate camp. You know, okay. But, yeah. but big deal. <laughs> My, my first, my first check was my greatest experience of life. Right, right. You know, isn't that cool? You know, thanks. I mean, I, I, I still remember, I remember this that day where you know you go and you get this check and it's made out to you and you go, my goodness. I mean, I, I worked for this. Um, here's somebody who uh, ties the, you know, uh, makes the link as to how I started this. Jeff, what you're talking about is the reason why someone has the nerve to request a company work around their schedule. When are the kids going to be a responsible employee? That's why we have so many adults that never grow up. Um, Yes. Jeff, for the love of God, I had two paper routes when I was 12. I worked as a dishwasher at 15, had full-time jobs ever since. How can people not want to work? I, I think it teaches great discipline. Well, it teaches a sense of responsibility. Okay, so you're you're in college, all right? You know, they, it's the 8 o'clock class. I don't know. I'm a little hungover. I think I'm going to sleep in and just kind of blow it off. All right, well, you know, if you're used to... If your background is, hey, I have to be there on Friday night. You know, I worked as a, you know, somebody who says, okay, I worked as a busboy or I worked as a coat check person at a restaurant or or whatever. Yeah, and I just, I had to be there. And, you know, I, I couldn't just call in sick. Well, maybe that prepares you to understand that, okay, when you got to be at that 8 o'clock class, you got to be at the 8 o'clock class. Mike in Oak Creek. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Um, I worked in the late 60s and early 70s uh, for cross beverages in the summer. I had a summer job for five summers delivering a soda route delivery uh, around southeastern Wisconsin. And <laughs> even though I got a journalism degree through my through college, I wound up working uh, eventually in senior management and logistics and uh, uh-huh. distribution warehousing management. So the the uh, experience that I got just being out uh, outside and yeah. meeting and working with people was invaluable. And when a position came up, I took a career change early in my career, and uh, yeah. uh, it was very successful. And that experience was invaluable. And to be honest, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. Well, well no, no, my guy, I get it. No, th- thanks for calling. And, and you open up the doors. You know, it's interesting you called in. Let me share another text I have, Jeff. My first full-time job after leaving college came from a local businessman. He knew me for many years and um, knew that I worked retail when I was in high school. I had a full-time jo- summer job to work my way through college. Knowing this, he called me and asked me if I wanted to work for him. I continue to work in that profession and have done so for 40 years. Yeah, you just you just never know. Jeff, I worked, learned responsibility, budgeting, didn't expect to be given everything. I can make the... Ch- I can even make change. That's something I see many people end up struggling with. Now, again, I okay, another job. Jeff, first job, teller, making 25 cents above minimum wage, two fifty an hour, way before ATMs. Friday, I would take, you know, um, my dad, $100. I would take, um, oh, Friday, I would take $100,000 cash plus the checks and, and balance all this stuff. I learned how to do that at 16. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that there's not a value in being 
having a broad range of experience. And I'm not arguing that people shouldn't go to the football camp or participate in the science fair or anything like that. But what I think is happening now, and maybe this has to do with the helicopter parents and the burnishing of people's resumes, is now there is this obsession that's out there saying, okay, if you want to get into a good college, you've got to do all this stuff. You've got to get this on your resume and that on your resume and that on your resume. And maybe we're missing kind of the bigger point, which is, okay, can you do – can you, you know, bypass maybe a couple volunteer things in exchange for saying, hey, you know, I worked at a couple places and I learned some responsibility and I met all sorts of people. You know, one of the other things that it, it, it might kind of tell you, and I will tell you some of the jobs that I worked at over the years, all right, weren't necessarily the most attractive or appealing jobs. And you know what? That helped reinforce for me, if I ever had any second thoughts, that that's not what I wanted to do for a living. God bless the people that do. But, you know, it said, okay, this is why you got to stay in school, and it's why you got to get good grades. And if this is what your goals are, you know, move move towards them. Um, just, I mean, keep moving ahead. But I look back on all the different jobs I had, some of which were more than a little bit crummy, and I learned stuff from every one of them. Now, that's not saying I want to go back and do some of those jobs anymore, but you know what? It was okay for a 16- or 17-year-old, and it would be okay for your 16- or 17-year-old. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1257. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I am starting to think that these things are going to be more trouble than they are worth. Now, these electric scooters that got dumped on the streets of the city of Milwaukee last year, illegally, ultimately were picked up. Well, now the legislature has changed its mind. They've made them legal. Milwaukee is in the process of licensing them. And you've had the first batch of scooters. They're called Lime Scooters. They're different brands that that are going to probably be here. The first ones that have hit town are these Lime Scooters, named after the fact that they are lime in color. And people are already starting to ride them. Now, we have a little bit of an indicator because our neighbors to the south, Chicago, they they went through the same thing just a couple months before us. And so now you have scooters that are, again, legal and can be licensed in Chicago, and they're starting to have all sorts of problems, which maybe we are going to have as well. So the, the, there are several rules that are associated with these, these various scooters. First of all, they're not supposed, and it, let's just back up, I guess, for a second as to how, how these things operate. What happens is you download an app on your phone. All right, then you say, I want to get a scooter. So let's say you're down at the lakefront. I want to get a scooter. You go on the app. The app tells you where scooters are. You go, you find a scooter because they're just going to be left all over. You find a scooter. And then what happens is you do whatever voodoo you do on your app, and it activates the scooter. You get to ride it. It costs a dollar to unlock the scooter, and it costs 25 cents per minute to use. Scooters can go a maximum of 15 miles an hour. Okay, so so here's the deal, though. The users are not allowed to ride them. You can't ride them on sidewalks. You're not supposed to ride bikes on sidewalks either. You can't park on the riverwalk. Scooters also cannot be parked in ways that impede pedestrians. But the operative thing is you, you can't ride them on the sidewalks. So what, what does this mean? Well, down at, for example, down at the lakefront, 
where you've got all these different paths and stuff. I, I can easily see it. You know, you rent one of these scooters and you want to go from Bradford Beach to Summerfest or whatever or Discovery World and you go up and down and it's kind of cool. I, I could see that. Right. I get that. In the more urban settings, let's say you want to use the scooter and you want to go from Discovery World to the public uh, museum or you want to go from Discovery World up to Marquette. Right. How, how are you going to do that? Well, you're not allowed to, to ride them on the sidewalks. So that means, and of course, you know, Wisconsin Avenue doesn't have a bike lane. So, you know, are you going to like ride your scooter in the lane with traffic? I mean, you know, you got buses, you got cars, and you've got people on these, these scooters. You know, really? Who, who's going to end up doing that? In addition, while helmets are suggested, they are not required. So you have these people that are trundling around on these different scooters, you know, going 15 miles an hour or whatever, hitting bumps, hitting manhole covers, whatever, and, and they don't have they're, – they're not wearing helmets. So if you tangle with cars or motorcycles or bikes, you're probably going to lose. Now, if you're driving down a sidewalk and you smack into a pedestrian, well, okay, you'll probably come out on top of that, you know, maybe – so you've got all these different issues that are out there, including that the simple fact that there may be a degree of dangerousness. Now, as I was saying at the start of the show, last night I went down to the, the Rotary Club has their live on the lakefront. Great event. If you've never been there before, I encourage you to do it. They bring in live bands every Wednesday night starting last night for the next uh, – they do it for four more weeks. It's free Wonderful setting behind Discovery World. We went down there and we parked in O'Donnell Park. It was five or six bucks, to, you know, that parking structure, um, the very controversial parking structure. But it was it was it was six bucks. And I, I parked there. It was six bucks. You walk two or three blocks. It was absolutely perfect. But what I noticed, even down there, um, in the space of walking from O'Donnell Park to Discovery World and back. I saw one, two, three of these scooters. Two of the three scooters were riding on the sidewalk. And I understand why those two of the three scooters were riding on the sidewalk, because the third one was, was in traffic on, on Michigan and Lake Drive. And, or Lincoln Memorial is what they call Lake Drive down there. So, I, and I'm watching the, the scooter, and it's a guy who's plugging along at like 15 miles an hour, and, and he's, he's in traffic. You know, where you got all these cars that are around. And then you've got the two other jokers that are riding, you know, on the sidewalk. Well, I get it. If it was me, I wouldn't want to be fooling around with traffic. I'd, I'd want to be on the sidewalk, too. The problem is, okay, you've got pedestrians that are coming out of buildings or walking, and you're not supposed to do that. Now, I bring this up because, again, the Chicago experience is not necessarily good. What they're finding is that these, these scooters are being left all over. They're creating, you know, nuisances with that. Um, here's a story in today's Chicago Tribune. Man on electric scooter hits pedestrian only to be hit by a car himself. In the course of just a few minutes, the operator of an electric scooter went from striking a pedestrian to being struck by a vehicle himself. The pedestrian was not hurt, but after being hit by the car, the scooter operator was in critical condition. Chicago police say about 5.45 p.m., officers were called downtown for a report of a male pedestrian being struck by a man riding an electric scooter, wait for it, on the sidewalk. Officers spotted the man on the electric scooter a short distance away. They tried to pull him over. Um, when the driver of a Toyota Corolla began pulling over to the right side of the street to make way for police, he struck the 45-year-old man on the electric scooter. 
45-year-old guy on an electric scooter, no helmet. And anyhow, so he ends up in, again, in critical condition. He was also issued a citation for riding the scooter on the sidewalk. But, I mean, here, I guess, I think that these things might be fun. And it's particularly, I think, down, you know, at the lakefront, or maybe if you've got them in some parks or something like that, it might be a fun form of recreation or things like that. As far as beyond that, you know, transportation, you know, using this, people are saying, well, this is going to help people get around, you know, if you can get off the bus or get off the flop, and then, you know, you can find a scooter, and that can take you, you know, the extra couple miles that you need to go through urban areas. I got to tell you, the more I think about it, I, the more I just don't see it, and the more concerned I am that ultimately these things are going to be, number one, more trouble than they're worth, and number two, a lot of people who really don't know how to operate them are going to be on them, and people are going to get hurt. Maybe the operators or maybe just the people that come into contact with them walking on the streets or the sidewalks. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this going to be a success, or is it going to be, like I say, more trouble than it ends up being worth? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. We will get to you. And if you've ridden one of these, I, I'd be interested in your experience. I, there, there's no way I'm getting on one of these electric scooters. I, I, I'm just not. But just because I wouldn't do it doesn't mean that other people wouldn't. But I'm telling you, I'm watching these people you know, skim around 15 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic without helmets. seems to me that this is literally and figuratively an accident waiting to happen. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Phil in Janesville. Phil, you're first. All right. Well, uh, thanks for taking my call, yes, sir. Uh, just got back from a week long trip to Dallas, visiting my college roommate. Okay. And uh, we went downtown several days. These things were everywhere. If you weren't careful, you would trip over them. There were two different companies, I believe. Mm -hmm. In some cases, there were loose parts laying around on Mm -hmm. the streets and sidewalks. (laughs) And we were in the heart of the city. We were down by Dealey Plaza and and, uh, went into the arts district. And and it was just ridiculous. I was telling uh, telling him, I said, they just... They just passed a law to allow these in Wisconsin. Right. I so, just, so the I city was jumped up. You, you, you mean you, they were like laying on the sidewalks they were so stepping laying, over them? Yeah. Most of them, there were certain areas where maybe a tender had come by and set them up in a row, but the vast majority were, were on their sides laying down. Mm. Uh, they're zooming on the sidewalks. Yep. And then that night we were watching the news, and there's some idiot on I-35 weaving in and out of 65-mile-an-hour traffic on one. <sighs> So I just, you know, safety risk, blight risk. Right. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very dangerous. More trouble than they're, more trouble than they're worth. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Thanks. Right. You know, no, I mean, that, and that's, and and look, and I, I understand that these could be fun play toys. Like I said, I mean, I could see a place down at the lakefront, you know, that area where, you know, by Veterans Park and stuff. I could see where, okay, back, you use it to go back and forth up there, you know, use them. But, but as far as in the city and on the sidewalks, dumping things, I mean, I'm waiting for somebody. That, you know these are going to be reports. People are going to come, and they're going to trip over them. The other interesting thing is this business model has kind of been challenged because there, there were all these estimates as to how long these things would last 
you know, you, you last you know two or three months, for example, without being replaced. What they're finding in the real world is these scooters last like a, a couple days or maybe a week or two because the people just abuse them. Um, so I. I just I think this is going to be a novelty. I just don't want somebody to get killed while we're figuring this out. Let's talk to Kevin in Wapaka. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Jeff. Uh, my story is similar. I was in Atlanta recently at a convention. These things are zipping all over the sidewalks, uh, and the convention was crowded. There's a lot of people, and they're just a menace. My, right. my question is, who's, who's liable if, if somebody gets hit? On the sidewalk, is the city of Milwaukee liable? Is the scooter owner liable? Is the kid or person, generally speaking, young person driving these things liable? I mean, I I know we're chasing the almighty dollar here, but this seems to be over the top. Oh, no, exactly. No, thanks. And and the answer is... Everybody and perhaps nobody. I mean, I mean, the, the scooter companies are supposed to put up a bond, and they're supposed to be insured. What I don't know is if somebody uses them in a way that they're not allowed to. Okay, you're driving them on the sidewalk, for example, and you ram into somebody. Does that does that absolve the company of liability? And then you know, you'd have to go after the person who's like riding it. And what if they don't have any insurance? I mean, these are all questions that have to be worked out. But I guess it, this is interesting because I mean, you're. You were in Atlanta. You see them all over the sidewalks. I saw a couple on the sidewalks last night, uh, and, and that's just two out of the three I, I see on the sidewalks. And by the way, I, I say I understand why you're driving them on the sidewalks. If I was on one of these things, I mean, I don't want to be navigating, you know, the, the corner of uh, Lincoln Memorial Drive and, and Michigan Street where you got a ton of cars that are down there, you know, when people are coming down for these events. I don't want to be navigating one of these things on one of these stupid scooters because if you think you're exposed on a bike or you think you're exposed on a motorcycle, try one of these scooters at 15 miles an hour. So I understand why people are on the sidewalks, but, you know, there, there's pedestrians that are on the sidewalks as well. Bonnie on the south side. Bonnie, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. Um, hi, Bonnie. I'm totally against them. Um, I almost got hit by one leaving um, a restaurant on Farwell. Um, I was, my husband and I were leaving the restaurant, and the restaurant had like an alcove, and you couldn't see left or right when you stepped out, and there was a scooter coming down on the sidewalk, and I had just had surgery and almost got hit by it, mm-hmm. and it could have been traumatic. So I'm totally against them. Well, well yeah, and you, you don't expect. I mean, it's, it's one thing, Bonnie, we're all taught before you cross the street, you know, you, you look left, you look right. You know, we're all taught that, but you're not taught. Hey, you know, when you're when you're when you're coming out of a, of a of a restaurant doorway onto a sidewalk, you got to look left or look right because there might be some bozo driving a scooter down the sidewalk at 15 or 20 miles an hour. So what do people do also when um, they buy something and they're carrying something? I- yeah, no, 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 no. no thank, I mean, th- these are all I think valid concerns. And look, and I, I, I just, I, I see a place for these, but I don't think that that place is necessarily on. I'm, I'm, let me let me not be mealy mouthed about this. I see a place for these, but I don't think that place is on city streets. This strikes me as being a recipe for disaster. You know, you you want to put them on the UWM campus? Okay, great. I mean, I, I can see that. Hey, you want to go from the, you want to rent one of these things to help you get faster from the dorm to your know, school? You want to put them on the Marquette campus to an extent? Okay, maybe I, I understand that. I see where that value might be. But I, again, you know, somebody gets one of these at the lakefront to take it up Wisconsin Avenue and, and try to get to Marquette, for example. Really? I mean, who's going to use that for that? It's a recipe for a huge accident. Ben in Milwaukee. Ben, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi. Hi, Ben. Um, I would say that I'm against it just because this seems, well, one, dangerous. Two, not many people walk around carrying bicycle helmets unless <laughs> they are ready to use one of these. Right, to ride and, a bike, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, like, I could see it, like you said, like on maybe a camp or something, or down by the lakefront. But, like, in a city where there's a lot of people, that increases your chance of having something go wrong. Like, I could see it more maybe out of the city, like maybe in, like, a Wauwatosa area or um, mm-hmm. just north Milwaukee, south Milwaukee, but not in the city where there's a lot yeah. higher chance of something going wrong. Yeah, no, I no, I get it. No, thanks to call, Ben. But, but even, you know, even in the suburbs and stuff, I mean, you don't – like, a lot of these areas, right or wrong, we don't have designated bike lanes. So, I mean, it, it's one thing – I mean, the ideal situation, I guess, is you 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 ride the you ride the scooter in the bike lane. So then you're you're dealing with the bikes. Uh, even then, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how you're you're very exposed in that fashion. But you know, a lot of these areas around here, we don't have bike lanes. So I mean, you're you're going to be dealing you're dealing with parked cars. You're going to be interacting with with scooters and with um. You know, with cars, and we don't have a requirement that you wear helmets, which to me, I, I understand that from a practical perspective, okay, may, maybe you, like you were saying, you're absolutely right, you don't carry around helmets and all, but I mean, my, my God, we, we tell everybody you're supposed to wear a helmet if you're you know riding a bike, you're supposed to wear a helmet if you're wearing riding a motorcycle. Uh, you know, no helmets on these scooters. Well, you know, when when you have that inevitable accident, and they're seeing this more and more in Chicago, for example. Like I say, Chicago's a couple weeks ahead of us. They rolled them out a little while ago, but they're starting to see all these problems as well. One more call, Mel and Cudahy. Mel, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I got a little different situation here. I'm totally blind. Ooh. There are three things in recent uh, society that have been, become a problem for blind people roundabouts because when they make a roundabout they usually take out the sidewalks right which makes it that much harder for a blind person to get around the uh electric cars because they're hard to hear them in traffic and these scooters because they're hard to hear and when they get done they lay them on the sidewalk they Mm -hmm. they uh lay them in piles and everything and yes we've got the canes or we've got the dogs and they help some but it, it, they can't. They don't solve everything. Right. The sidewalks are supposed to be clear right. of obstructions. Uh, even even good parents have their children take their bikes and big wheels and stuff off the sidewalks. Right. But these things, they just don't care where they lay them. No, and and they don't. And it, it's not like it's your kid's big wheel, for example, your kid's bicycle. These are these are things that you rent. You don't care. You're, you're done. You've you've ridden it up there. Hey, you just dump it on the side, then you move on. Exactly. And, and uh, our canes have a hard time talking to us. No, no. Thanks for call, Mel. I, I appreciate it. And I, I guess these are all the, these concerns. And I, I go back to my basic premise: Do these things, under certain circumstances, do they look like they might be fun? Sure. Don't be surprised if we start to hear more and more problems, people getting injured, more and more people using them in inappropriate fashions. And don't be surprised if not that far in the future, we come to the conclusion, more trouble than they're worth. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's George Thorogood, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, I just started as a juicer slash charger. 
I had to think about what that was through. Because you know, sometimes you say, I'm a juicer. That gives you a different connotation. But this is somebody working, apparently, you know, picking up the Lime scooters and recharging them. I just started as a juicer charger, and yes, they need some local input on where to place these scooters. I think if they're used and placed back within boundaries where they're most useful, somehow it would be used more safely. I, I guess, again, I I don't disagree with that. If, if, if you want to confine them to areas where you would use them primarily for recreation, I, again, I get it. The, you know, the lakefront, the UWM campus, those come to mind. I'm sure that there's others, maybe some parks or something like that. It, it's just the urban areas that I, I think are questionable. Then the person goes on and say, 15 miles an hour isn't that fast. Well, okay, y- yes and yes and no. If you're the lady I talked to earlier who's taking a step out of the door of the restaurant and somebody's going 15 miles an hour on one of these things and barrels into her, yeah, 15 miles an hour, you know, can can be fast. Um, just saying. 414-799-1620. All right. Uh, Melissa was talking about this during the news. My tease was that Eric Holder, well, his head is exploding. Here is why. The Trump administration, through the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, William Barr, announced yesterday that the federal government is going to start, is going to resume um, executing people, following through on the death penalty. Now, here's the deal. There is a federal death penalty. Before you can request it as a U.S. attorney, um, and, and by the way, most most cases that are handled by the federal government are not going to be capital cases. I mean, those typically tend not to be the sort of cases that the federal government would get involved with. Most of those are going to be handled on on the state level. But there are situations where there is a federal death penalty and federal crimes, you know, would perhaps call for that. So it's a limited number. There is a federal death penalty. It has been on the books for a long time. It hasn't been enforced There has not been an execution since 2003, and since 2008, when Barack Obama came in as the president, um, there has been a moratorium on executions. Uh, Eric Holder, who is the attorney general, is and was personally opposed to the death penalty. So what they would do is, in cases where they believe the death penalty was appropriate, they would, the Justice Department, would give permission to the local U.S. Attorney's Office to seek the death penalty. And then, you know, the jury would decide that. It's a matter that's decided by the juries in, in federal cases. But under the Obama administration and under Eric Holder, even if a jury found this a sufficient case for the death penalty, the government was not allowed to execute anybody. So they wouldn't implement the policy. This week... The new attorney general, Bill Barr, has changed that. And he said, OK, we're we are now going to resume, you know, executions. And we have all these people who are waiting. They've been through the court system. Their guilt has been adjudged. Their death penalty warranty, that's, you know, that that's been upheld. So these people are waiting execution and we're going to start the process. They have now scheduled executions for December and January for a handful of prisoners. One guy's name is Daniel Lee Lewis. He's going to be executed for killing a family of three, including an eight-year-old girl. One is somebody named Lesmond Mitchell. He killed a 63-year-old woman 
and he killed her nine-year-old granddaughter. Um, another one is a guy named Wesley Ira Perky, who raped and murdered a 16-year-old girl and murdered an 80-year-old woman. Woman, And then, let's see, somebody named Alfred Bourgeois for molesting and killing his two-year-old daughter. And then somebody named Dustin Lee Honkin for shooting and killing five people, including two children. So what they're, they're apparently focusing on, they've got all these people that have been sentenced to death, but they're focusing on, it sounds like the worst of the worst, people who are convicted of um, murdering either very old people or and or murdering children. In a couple cases, murdering older people and murdering children. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There was an implication in Melissa's story that, oh, that this is going to be another political issue, etc. I don't know. I don't know. I guess my take is people have been through the justice system. They have been sentenced to death. I don't think there is any reason to not enforce that. The law allows it. They've been convicted. Their guilt has been decided. And I, for one, am not going to lose any sleep at all over the fact that some guy who murdered a family of three, including an eight-year-old girl, is executed. I'm not going to lose any sleep at all that somebody who killed a 63-year-old woman and her nine-year-old granddaughter is executed. I'm not going to lose any sleep at all that some guy that raped and murdered a 16-year-old girl and an 80-year-old woman is going to get the death penalty. And I'm sure not going to lose any sleep over the fact that somebody who shot and killed five people, including two children, is going to get the death penalty. 414-799-1620. Is this going to be controversial or is this just following the law? I have no problem at all with the death penalty, particularly in these situations. How about you? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Some people see this as controversial. I confess, I really don't. Uh, President Trump, through the Justice Department, announced that they are, for the first time since two thousand three, going to be lifting the moratorium on federal executions. There is a federal death penalty. Um, it attorneys, U.S. attorneys across the country. Over the last, you know, eight, nine, ten years have been allowed to seek the death penalty in appropriate cases. So people have been tried. If you're tried under a capital case, uh, you, you get all sorts of extra protections and things. But there's been a number of people who have been convicted and sentenced to death. The federal government has not executed anybody because, well, during the Obama years, Eric Holder didn't believe, the attorney general, didn't believe in the death penalty. So even though he allowed people to seek it, he did not allow it to be implemented. Well, you know, starting this week, that's changed. And the attorney general, the current one, Bill Barr, has announced, hey, we're, we're going to start fulfilling these sentences. And they've scheduled a handful of executions in December and in January. In all the cases, it's the worst of the worst. I mean, it's people who killed older people and or children, and in some cases, like I say, both, you know, older people and children, just truly despicable human beings who've been sitting around at taxpayer expense on death row for years and years. I don't know about you. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. There's all sorts of things I lose sleep over. This isn't going to be one of them. And as a matter of fact, the law allows for the death penalty. I think it has been almost unconscionable that you've had 
I don't know, in this case, an attorney general, you know, supported by President Obama, that decided we're not going to enforce the law. 414-799-1620. Let's start with some text. Jeff, how could anybody be against these people getting the death penalty and being put to death? Well, I think that's a good question. Here's another text. No problem with this is all at all. Another text. As long as there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt that they perform these murders, I'm all for the death penalty. And I, I, I am too. I mean, that's, look, I, I think, and by the way, nowadays with all the advances we have in science and DNA testing and things like that, the chance for a wrongful conviction is is so much it is reduced so much from 30 or 40 years ago i'm not saying it can't happen but it's reduced but i mean i think that's the key with these capital cases i think you know you've got to make sure 100 percent as to somebody's guilt but in these cases where there is no question that this is the guy that murdered the 63 year old woman and you know her nine-year-old grandchild explain to me why the taxpayer should have to ascend essentially you know pay for three meals a day and exercise yards and cable television and library facilities for the rest of this guy's natural life dave in waukesha dave you're on wtmj hello hey jeff how you doing good what do you think i, I agree wholeheartedly and actually you know as you said i mean the the um being able to prove the absolute guilt is a lot easier now than it was. But the thing is, is if we're going to do it, let's do it expeditiously. In other words, none of these 14,000 appeals and 10 years later they're still right. jagging around. You know, it's kind of like, do it Texas style. You know, put them on that, put them on that escalator and, <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, again, I, I think, you know, <laughs> thanks for the call, Dave. I mean, I don't want to be flippant about this because it's a very serious thing, but I, I agree with your sentiment as well, Dave, to the extent that, see, I think just, I've always believed that justice delayed is justice denied. And, and I think that it, I don't know if the death penalty has a deterrent effect or not. You know, people argue, you know, if you know you're going to be put to death, would that discourage other people from doing it? I, I don't, I don't know that. And I really don't care because my justification for the death penalty isn't, is it going to be a deterrent or not? But to the extent it could be a deterrent, it, it means that you, you have to implement it in a reasonable period of time. And I'm not saying there needs to be a rush to the hangman's noose, but at the same time, I agree with you. I think these, these capital cases, should should get priority. And I think that there should be a fast track. All right, you have the trial. You have the appeal. All right, then if there's going to be, you know, other reviews, fine. If there might be stuff that the first set of lawyers and the second set of lawyers and the third set of lawyers and the fourth set of lawyers missed, fine. Let a fifth set of lawyers look at it. But at the same time, you got to move the thing along. You, you, you can't let this drag out five and 10 and, and 15 years with interminable appeals. What you have to say is, okay, we're going to get good, capital we're going to get good lawyers who understand capital punishment and these issues we're going to review the case thoroughly and once we've made a determination that somebody's rights have been protected and by the way they really did murder that 63 year old woman and the nine-year-old granddaughter okay boom then i think what you do is you go ahead and and you implement it that i think is one of the keys that's there you can't just you know delay it forever and ever Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You know, a number of people um, then also you know, do do make the interesting argument, and it is an interesting argument that many of the people who are opposed to the death penalty 
also have no problem with abortion. And it is it is kind of an interesting dichotomy. Jeff, it seems to me to be a twisted reality where murdering innocent babies through abortion is legal and euthanizing murders is debatable. Murderers is debatable. Let's deal with the guilty and save the innocent. Um, yeah, that that's it. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, I think it's just wrong to ask another person to kill another human being. Those executioners might feel differently, suffer PTSD, or perhaps feel righteous. It's problematic to ask someone to kill another. Well, I... I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think that that's a function of of the state. And I think that there's be, be all sorts of people out there who I understand maybe that's not for everybody. And you don't want to be the sign up to be necessarily the one that, you know, does the gas injection or, or whatever. That that's, that's fine. Nobody's saying you have to. But my guess is there's all sorts of other people who have no moral queasiness with carrying out, I don't know, the lawful orders of a court and, you know, holding people to the ultimate punishment. Let's talk to Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, good afternoon. Great topic. Um, don't you, you know the history of executions in this country and how it's evolved from public executions to private executions to hangings and lethal induction, and then we ceased. Uh, in mental health, we used to kind of do the same thing with people that are mentally disturbed. We didn't execute them. We locked them up. We removed their brains. And for one reason, we didn't understand it. And for one person to kill another person to say, we're justified in killing that person, let's step back a minute, take a deep breath, and realize, number one, the cost, because that's a lot more cost than a life sentence. Two, the reaction, uh, well, you have done horrible things, and therefore we're passing judgment, and we're going to kill you. Yeah, um, I have no problem with that. What's your problem with it? Somebody murders a family of five, including two children. Is, What's the problem? Yeah, I'll tell you the problem exactly. Ignorance is bliss. We destroy them because we don't understand it. And if you want to go that route and say, well, if you, you got what's coming to you, yep. first of all, you know how many cases were unjust? Now you know you know law. Okay, well, well, I'm putting this out. I'm I'm the the, I'm talking about the cases where there is absolutely no question of somebody's guilt. No, I got to tell you, Bill. Maybe in your mind makes me a bad person. I have no problem at all with executing. You have a guy that kills a mother, a father, and three small children on vacation. I have no problem at all executing them. None. Well, well, that's good. You know, But I, but the vast majority of people, Bill, who are in jail, belong in jail. But let's talk. Let's not. Let's put aside. Let's let's talk about even if the person is one hundred percent guilty. Even if there's no issue about that, right. you still don't think it's appropriate, right? Well, well, is that normal behavior to kill somebody? Well, no, absolutely. I, I would argue no. It's it's extremely antisocial. Okay, so on both sides, no. it's very abnormal. Well, no, but you're not by by carrying out a sentence. You are not killing somebody. You are carrying out the sentence. That's you're you're making sure somebody suffers the appropriate punishment for that. It's different than an unlawful killing, like executing a family of five. So, in other words, it's not killing. No. it's just doing your job. Now, let me just develop one last thing. A person that kills a family of five is totally. 
mentally unstable. No, not, not necessarily. They might be a psychopath. They might be a sociopath. They're, oh, so in other words, you, what you're saying is this is a normal behavior, but oh, it just has a little glitch in it. Well, no. They're so, thanks. Wait a second. There's a difference between being incompetent, meant insane, criminally insane, and being a sociopath. There are all sorts of people who are psychopaths or sociopaths that, yes, they understand perfectly the consequences of their behavior. Um, I, I guess, I, I, I again, we're going to have to agree to disagree with this one on this one, Bill. But I have, yes, you show me, you show me the guy that murdered the 63-year-old woman and, his, and her 9-year-old granddaughter in cold blood. Sorry, no sympathy for me at all. I'm going to lose no sleep at all when that guy is executed in December or January. That makes me a bad person. So be it. But uh, no, no problem at all with that. And I just think that's the ultimate penalty and the ultimate punishment. And I have no problem. Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hey, before I forget, if you don't know this already, uh, a week from today, it is the start of the Wisconsin State Fair. And I believe, I, I think I'm going to be out there every weekday of the fair. I have to look ahead, but I think like every weekday of the fair... A matter of fact, Scafidi is going to be out there. Mercure is going to be out there. So we got lots of programming originating from the fair from our broadcast facility. We call it the Fish Bowl. You can come and see what we look like. Now, the caveat is we get to see what you look like, too. So just just be aware of that, you know, and um, again, keep in mind, I always, when whenever I'm getting ready to dress for the fair, I always remember one of Wagner's rules of life, which is just because they make it in my size doesn't mean I should necessarily buy it. So, I mean, I think that's kind of some good advice out there. But seriously, if you're out at the State Fair, stop off and say hi. I try to make a point, and it drives my producer, Gru, and all his predecessor producers absolutely crazy. I tend to go out at the breaks and try to, you know, I, I, if you're going to come by and you're going to spend some time and you want to say hi, I, I'd love to talk to you and things like that. And um, inevitably what will happen is, Jeff, the commercials are done. you got to get back there, Jeff. Where is Jeff? Is Jeff there? But, you know, we will we will work it out. That's a problem on our end. But if you're out at the fair, stop off and say hi. Um, by the way, a week from yesterday, next Wednesday, Cream Puffapalooza is back. Come help us fill the parking lots of State Fair. Um, you will, if you are one of the first 620 cars in line at 6.20 a.m. on July 31st, that's next Wednesday, you will win a three-pack of famous cream puffs. I'm going to be there. I think I'm actually going to bring my wife, the lovely Fran. She should be there, too, just because I want to see. I want her to see this at least once. Um, first 620 vehicles to show up, you will get a three-pack of cream puffs. For official rules of the promotion, visit WTMJ.com. And, again, what happens is, my experience in the past is that people – People come down and start lining up like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Believe it or not, we're going to start giving away at 6.20. Um, and the State Fair police are, are great. And everybody that walk, watch the West Dallas police officers are great as well. And we get everybody lined up into multiple lines. And people are in the parking lot. If you're wondering where to go, it's that main parking lot in front of the um, the, the Pettit Ice Center uh, right uh, running parallel to I-94. Um, that's one of the main gates of State Fair. We start at 620, and we'll give them away till they're gone. Uh, typically, the, the, by the time, I don't know, my, my guess is 30 or 40 minutes, maybe. I know that sounds amazing, but you know, we'll probably go through that many. All right, I've gotten a couple emails and texts from people saying, 
Well, it's been, you know, aren't you going to be talking about the Robert Mueller story today? And the answer is, no, not really. I mean, I did mention it briefly yesterday. He was finished. We had an abbreviated show yesterday because of the Brewers game. But the, the first half of the Mueller testimony, the testimony in front of the House Judiciary Committee was done. He was going to be testifying in front of the House Intelligence Committee. But no, nothing new happened. I mean, my... I don't know. I don't think there's very much more to say about the Mueller testimony other than the fact that this drives a stake through the vampire that has been impeachment once and for all. Even some of the most hardcore anti-Trumpers in Congress recognize that there is no stomach for impeachment anymore. And I understand if you're a Trump hater and you don't think he was legitimately elected that you don't want to hear that. But the, the truth of the matter is. The referendum and the decision on whether or not President Trump is going to continue to be the president, that's going to be conducted in November of 2020, and we, we call it an election. Impeachment was never going to go anywhere because it was never going to happen as a practical matter. Maybe he would be impeached by the House, but he was never going to be convicted in the U.S. Senate. So he was never going to be removed. So the issue was really, was, and this was for the people who wanted to push for impeachment, Bob Mueller's testimony yesterday was was the last best hope that there would be something that came out that would so inflame the passions of a majority of Americans that they would both literally and figuratively stream and, you know, head down to the offices of all their elected officials carrying pitchforks and torches and demand that, you know, President Trump be removed from office. That that was the hope. That was the Hail Mary. And it, it just didn't materialize. Bob Mueller, who I think is a Actually, I think he's a pretty good lawyer, and I think he's a dedicated civil servant, turned in a terrible performance yesterday. And it's interesting to me to see so many people on the left who were touting him as the ultimate savior going, God, where, where did this guy come from? He he was, he was the, the phrase I keep seeing is dazed and confused. I don't think that's unfair. He was uncertain about lots of elements of his report. He was... I, I want to say at some point in time, I, I, I'd use the word doddering. It was, I was kind of surprised at the performance. And the, the, the bottom line is there was just nothing that came out yesterday that would, again, change the dynamic on, on this whole thing. The, the, one, the one statement, and I, I cautioned you on this yesterday, that was initially getting the headlines is one of the, the members of the, the, one of the Democrats who was questioning him asked him, so, you know, you're, you're saying that he, he could be indicted, you know, after, after he left office. And the, and he said, yeah. Now, he then went and cleared it up. As I pointed out yesterday, it, it wasn't Mueller saying that, yes, he thought there was evidence to indict President Trump when he was done. He was saying, well, as a matter of law, yes, once he stops being president, you know, theoretically, he could be charged with a crime. That's what he was. That was the intent um, of what he meant. And he started off his testimony in the afternoon kind of clearing that up, lest anybody thought that he was recommending or suggesting there was evidence to charge the president. Bottom line is that there's really there's not much more to say about this because impeachment is a practical matter now. It's just off the table. And it's time for everybody, I think, to start looking ahead and, and focusing on the next election. But you know what? In the interim, I would still like to see people, both Republicans and Democrats, maybe see if there's some stuff over the course of the next year and a half that we could get done that would, would maybe actually 
benefit us? You know, and part of that would be, I think you have to have a serious conversation about Russian meddling in elections. That is a bad thing. It is something that Republicans and Democrats should agree on, and we need to figure out ways to stop it and to penalize it better than we have. But on top of that, think of all these other issues that you have. I mean, still all these open questions about health care and cost. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the fact that Social Security is going to be running out of money in a little bit over a decade. That's just the reality. Something needs to be done about that. Maybe you'd like to see somebody step up in a leadership role. Okay, the border, the immigration system continues to be a mess. One of the things that makes my head explode is you have some of these congressmen or women who go down to the border and they pose for holy pictures and they say, look, you've got all these people and they're being held in these detention facilities and this is inhumane. And but they don't offer any alternative. You know, as we were talking about the other day on this program, when when this country passed the laws regarding asylum, which says if you get into this country and you, you, you know, you demand asylum, you will be held until you have a hearing. OK, back then. There are maybe 20,000 people in a given year that would show up, you know, demanding asylum. Now you've got 20,000 people in two weeks. We're, we're not geared to deal with the massive number of people who are flooding across the border. So, I mean, rather than going down and saying, hey, people are being held in these detention facilities and isn't this awful? Okay, my my question would be, okay, come up with what your solution is. Tell me what the alternative is. Is it essentially saying we're going to have open borders and just release people? Well, no, no, we don't want to do that. Is it, okay, we're going to move people around the country for different detention facilities? No, no, we don't want to do that. Is it going to be we're going to not allow people into this country and make them wait for their hearings outside the country? Oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. Well, I mean, to the Mark Pocans, he's the Democrat congressman from Madison, I'd say, okay, tell me what your alternative is. Right, you, you've got a crisis at the border. Figure out what it is. But, but those are the things that I'd like to see us talk about, Social Security and health care and the real issues of immigration that we're facing instead of, well, gee, you know, we don't like Donald Trump. Let's, let's figure out a way to get him out of office. Like Trump, you want to get him out of office, you're going to have a chance in November of 2020, and that's coming up quickly. All right, when we come back, when we come back, is it a perk for federal employees that's deserved? And then a little bit later on, what happened to R-rated movies and what happened to the Milwaukee Bucks dancers? Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am so very glad to have you with us. It's 87 degrees outside. 87 degrees. Gru, did you get that part for your car? Yeah, I ordered it. Oh, but has it come in yet? Uh, it's been shipped. It has been shipped. No, we, you, you missed the day of work earlier this week, and, and I haven't been critical at all because you drive some like weird car that I advised you not to purchase in the first place. Your mother and I both said you don't want to buy that car. You bought the car. It's broken down, and there, you have to what send a Newfoundland or something for a part? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ordering it from the United States okay, and everything. Right. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's just an expensive part, and it's it's, it's got to come in the mail. And then once I get it, then I got to get it to the mechanic, and then it and then it's like a seven hour surgery. It's uh, okay, so right. So it, it, it's again, this is 
like I say, th- this is one where I, I believe me, I don't want to sound like your mom, but your mom and I both said, okay, why don't you just buy like a regular normal car and then you won't have those issues. Will you listen to us next time? I suppose I'll have to. <laughs> All right. Fair, fair enough. All right. It's just, I, just, I, I, I am very sympathetic because man, I, I tell you, there, there's, there's certain things in, in this world that are incredibly aggravating and car problems are also one of those, especially car problems that you, again, like this, where it's some obscure part and you need it and it's got to take you know days to get and then days to install. All right. I am uh, I go to most of the Marquette University men's basketball team home games. I, I, I just I love college basketball. I love the vibe. I love the band. I love the the cheerleaders and the dance team and all that sort of stuff. I, I think it's it's sort of fun and it's got that experience. I'm. I'm less a fan of professional basketball, and I don't exactly know why. I, I I appreciate the incredible talent of the athletes and stuff like that, and certainly I was rooting for the Bucks, and you know I'm a fan of the Bucks, but more so for for college basketball. But like I say, one of the things that really I, I think makes the college basketball experience for me is you've got again you've got the band and you've got you've got the cheerleaders and you've got the dance team and you've got all this stuff that, that's going on and there's all these sort of activities the bucks the, the bucks have taken an interesting stance the bucks announced I, I guess it became public yesterday but apparently they told people early on that they're the bucks dancers you know the bucks had, used to have they had a dance team they used to call them the Energy Dancers, and then they became the the Milwaukee Bucks Dancers. Well, th- that's gone. They've essentially disbanded that, and they've done away with the all female. I'm going to use the phrase dance team. You know, the the all female dancers. And what they've said they're going to do is they're going to replace them. Um, so they're moving away from the traditional dance team, which is women. And they're going to replace them with a, a, an organization that will have dancing, tumbling, break dancing, tricking, and other unique talents. And they anticipate that it's going to be you know fifty percent male and fifty percent you know female. So it, it's going to be the, this mixed thing. But they're getting away from the traditional dance team. And again, it's not going to be. It's the people they hire. It's not just going to be dancing. It's going to be all sorts of other stuff as well. Now, as it might expect, you know, some of the people that are, were on the dance team now or were on the dance team before, you know, they're not happy about this. You know, they said, well, you know, this is this is kind of part of the the problem. You know, that it, it's all sort of this this politically correct world nowadays and. You've got the Me Too movement and things like that, and you know, first, you know, the the Bucks a number of years ago, they had a stressing and more revealing, a, a, more revealing aspects and outfits, and people thought that that was wrong and were too sexy. And now they're saying that women aren't being respected. Um, so, you know, what they're doing now is they're following the lead of a couple other teams, and they're saying we're going to do away with the dance team entirely. There's still going to be entertainment, um, and some of that entertainment's going to be dancing. But it's not going to be the traditional type of things that you see, like in college, where you know the Marquette University their their dance team it's it's a bunch of young women. I'm curious as to how you feel about this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is clearly, I, I think, a trend 
that you're seeing in more and more pro sports. The idea that we're getting away from these traditional sort of gender roles where, you know, people come and they watch the attractive women, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and things like that. We're getting away from that and, and we're going to go to a, a different form of entertainment. All right. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. John on the east side. Hi, John. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think about this? You know, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, I've been a season ticket holder for a long time, and honestly, when the dancers come on the court, nobody really pays attention to them anyway. Okay, so it's it's not that, it's, it's you know, if, if it was a big deal years ago, it's not anymore. No, it's not. I mean, the, the popular dancer for the Bucks now are the grand dancers. So the, uh, you know, the older men and women that come out right. once, once a game to do a routine. But as far as the the dance team, I mean, you know, I'll notice that if the kids are probably the ones that will watch them. But when the dance does come out, mostly all the adults are either going to the concession stand or they're on their phone. <laughs> I don't really see why it's a big deal. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I, I went to I go to most of the Marquette games, but I only went to one or two of the Bucks games. The big difference that I notice is at at the Marquette games, people tend to be there like during the game, and then everybody goes out at halftime. I was stunned at the Bucks games I went to how much of a more social sort of thing. There, there were people coming in and out all the time. I swear there were people who spent half the game at the games I was at, you know, out in the concourse or something, talking to people. It was, it was really a different crowd experience to me to go to the different games. Yes, yeah, it's a little different. I mean, you know, this year it kind of, was kind of different just because a lot of people, you know, there were a lot of uh, people that the Bucks this year was their first time going to a game right. for a long time, and it was because of the arena. Right. But even in, even in the Bradley Center, probably over the last five to ten years, there wasn't as much attention that was paid to the dance team. And I don't know if there's any particular reason why, but I just think that it's you know it's, it's nothing against the dancers, but I just think that nowadays it's there are so many other options in regards to the entertainment that goes on at the at the games, you know, particular NBA games that. Yeah, you know, the, the I, dance team leaving is not that big of a deal. Yeah, John, thanks for call. I see. I, I I agree, big picture. Now, I I don't know. I don't know how much of this is driven by political correctness or or not, and, and that's always a fair question. As far as the end result goes. I just I think that this is just just a trend because um, what you're going to see, my guess is when whatever they put together moving forward, it's going to be a more it's going to be a more diverse sort of thing. And I don't mean diverse, obviously more diverse on gender, but what it's going to be is I think there's going to be more sorts of different types of entertainment. I think that they're going to be having people, you know, men and women who are going to be doing different things other than coming out and doing this, this routine. I think that that's what they're looking for is something more more modern. Now, again, I don't know whether there's an element of political correctness that, that's here that, you know, we, we don't want an all-female dance team, et cetera, et cetera, because we want to be more inclusive or whatever. But I, my guess is, at the end of the day, they're going to find talented dancers, men and women, um, who also perhaps do more than just dance, have other sorts of skills, and they're going to try to incorporate that, incorporate that into entertainment. So, um, 
I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the days of the old Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders things where you found like really, really attractive women and put them in really, really short skirts. OK, may, maybe those days are gone and maybe those days should be gone. I think the Bucks are going to end up being fine. And I'm sorry if some of the gals who are dancing now, you know, in the story, there's somebody saying, well, they're going to you know, this is going to be their last opportunity to being a professional dancer. Well, OK, you know, sorry, but then you kind of all have to sort of move on. I think the Bucks are going to be fine. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. He's the crew's go-to pinch hitter. And now, Brewers outfielder Ben Gamble. Well, he wants to meet you. WTMJ's Matt Paul invites you to join him at the Meyer in Oak Creek this Saturday from 11 to 1. Hang out with Matt. That is always fun. Get an autograph from Ben Gamble starting at noon and even have a chance to win tickets to an upcoming Brewers game. That's this Saturday from 11 to 1 at the Meyer in Oak Creek. See you there. All right, I want to talk about movies for a minute. I know we, we do. Actually, I've got a great pop culture corner for this show tomorrow. But um, I, I want to talk about movies for a minute because there, there was something I read in the Wall Street Journal today, actually, that I don't think is completely and totally accurate, but, but it raises a good point. When I was back in the day, you know, when I was growing up and coming of age, the R-rated movies, all the good movies – were R-rated movies. I mean, that was one of the things. I couldn't wait. There's many reasons I couldn't wait till I turned 18, including the fact that you could drink legally and things like that. But all, but all the all the Oscar-winning movies, all the cutting-edge movies, all the movies that people were talking about, and all the movies, and many and many of the movies that were incredibly successful were, were R-rated movies. Rated R, maybe because there was some nudity, because there was some language. But that that that's that's where it was at. And my gosh, and sometimes for violence. You mean I can't get in to see the movie Bonnie and Clyde? I hear all this great stuff about No, it's too violent. It's R-rated. I want to see Easy Rider. No, you can't see that. You know, it's, it's R-rated. All these movies were, were R-rated. And, and that trend, I think, continued for the longest period of time. I, I bring this up because today the new Quentin Tarantino movie opens up. And I'm, I'm a fan of Quentin Tarantino's, except I think his work is up and down. You know, he, this is his ninth movie. Um, he, he's had some great movies. I, I think Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Some of the latest stuff, eh, it, it's kind of sort of, Sort of left me cold, but I, but he's he's an interesting guy, and the movie he's got coming out it, it drops today. Once upon a time in Hollywood, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, and it it's set in 1969, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays a sort of fading. TV star slash movie star who's kind of on the downside of his career. Brad Pitt plays the guy's best friend, stunt double, etc., etc. And it's set it's set in Hollywood in July and August of nineteen sixty nine. And of course the the big thing that happened in Los Angeles, and we'll be talking about this probably next week or the week after that, is it was like August eighth or August ninth, it was the it was the Charles Manson murders. The the murder of Sharon Tate by some disciples of, of Charles Manson. Um and then the next night there was another series of murders. And that that of course 
you know, it, it's it's tough to believe that that was 50 years ago, but it was 50 years ago. So this movie, it's kind of set at that time, and my understanding is it's sort of it's an extremely fictionalized account of that. And I, I think I, I've I've seen spoilers because I kind of know what the ending is, and I won't ruin it for you. But it's it's a revisionist sort of of thing. But anyhow, it this is this big budget movie, and they're dropping this, and it drops tomorrow. And a lot of the, the movie studios are, are hoping that it, it does very well for them, because for whatever the studio is, this is the it's an expensive. This is like their big summer release, and it's an R rated movie. Now I bring this up because if you look at over the last several years, the R, the movies that have done well at the box office, what you find is that almost none of them are R-rated movies. For example, I'm looking at the top 20 grossing, t- highest grossing movies in 2018. Let's just take last year, for example. All right, and, and here, here there, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Aquaman, uh, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, Deadpool was R-rated, right? The other five weren't. Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, Mission Impossible Fallout, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Bohemian Rhapsody. That somehow was not R-rated, but it wasn't. It was PG-13. A Star is Born. A Star is Born was an R-rated movie. And then Solo, A Star Wars Story, Venom, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, A Quiet Place, Crazy Rich Asians, Mary Poppins Returns, Hotel Transylvania 3, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Okay, so out of the top 20 grossing movies, only two were R-rated movies. The rest were movies that were open to everybody. And then if you go down the list, that, that doesn't, that doesn't change. If you were to look at the next 20 movies, um, top grossing ones, uh, my guess is you're not going to see more than two or three R-rated movies there. They're, they're just, they're not making R-rated movies anymore. They're making movies for, okay, not just adults. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there a market anymore? for movies designed to be seen by adults. And I'm not talking about X-rated movies and things like that, but I'm talking about, I know, some of these more cutting-edge films that many of us grew up on in the 70s and the 80s and and the even early 90s, like these cutting-edge films that, all right, um, maybe aren't geared, aren't geared for teenagers, but are geared and are suitable for adults. Is there a market anymore for R-rated movies or, you know, moving forward, is it all going to be Mary Poppins Returns and Marvel superhero movies and The Incredibles 2, which, by the way, I like The Incredibles a lot. 414-799-1620. Have tastes changed? Is it just a question of, of economics that you need to appeal to the broadest people possible? Um, or or is there a segment of the movie audience that's being missed? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you even go to R? If you go to movies, would you even consider going to an R-rated movie anymore? Like I say, out of the top 20 last year, Deadpool 2, which was definitely an R-rated movie, and A Star is Born. Other than that, nothing. 414-799-1620, if you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Unless you think that 2018 might have been an aberration. I'm looking at the box office numbers for 2017. Top 20 of the 20 highest grossing films. Only one R-rated movie. Uh, that was the um, horror movie Get Out. But that, that's the only R-rated movie that's there. Number one was Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Beauty and the Beast, Wonder Woman, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, etc. Uh, is there is there room for movies made for adults nowadays with an R rating? John in Kenosha. Hi, John. Hey, thanks for, st- for sure. taking my call. Sure. Um, I think the reason why the market um, doesn't like doesn't want to make the R-rated movies anymore is because the um, millennial generation, well, the parents have kept them from seeing not as much R-rated movies. Like, I'm 20 years old. Mm-hmm. My parents never let, it, let me watch R-rated movies. I've always been a fan of Pixar, and Pixar yeah. um, movies are like, I mean, they're basically friendly family yeah. movies and I, I believe that market is up and running and it will continue for as long as it can because let's face it parents don't want their kids to see bad well right uh, shows. You, yeah and i guess in the parents maybe they're the ones that thanks to the call that are so also aren't buying the the tickets i mean and again if, if you look at the movies that are out there that they're making that make the big money. It's all these big popcorn movies. It's the Avengers and it's the superhero stuff and it's Star Wars and it's all those different types of things. And, and, and I, I, I agree. I think that that's where people are going. They're going where the, the money is. Now, a couple of people are making the point, uh, Jeff, I think society's become more permissive and the Motion Picture Association more liberal and lenient. Things in films that once would have earned an R rating are now more socially acceptable, uh, thus making it easier to be granted a PG-13 and the bigger potential audience. Uh, that's true, too. Uh, another Another point that's out there is that, and one of our texters makes it as well, Jeff, it seems to me that all of the R-rated shows are now on the Internet via Netflix or some other streaming provider, you know, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Outlander, etc. I think that there is an element to that. I think, and it's it's been one of the things that's been interesting to me to see the way entertainment has evolved. More and more of the movies that are out there, the big budget movies, they're they're geared to the overall general office, uh, 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 the general audience. And in particular, I think a lot of those movies they're being programmed for. Hey, hey, we want the teenagers, and, and you know, and we we want the you know we want the the twenty somethings and things like that, and and we want the people who are going to come back and watch this six or seven times. That's where they're spending the money. You see lots of adult stuff. But more and more of that, I think, has been, I don't want to say relegated, because that's not fair to TV, but but you see more and more stuff that would have been maybe R-rated movies that's now, you know, playing out on all the various television shows. The, you know, I mean, Orange is the New Black on Netflix, that last season is dropping. But so much of the stuff that's on streaming video, and even on, not pay cable, but even on basic cable, it's much more adult. So I think that's, and that's what I find, find to be interesting about this whole thing, more and more of the entertainment, the the adult-oriented entertainment, the, the R-rated stuff, 
it, it's being driven, I think, to, to TV and to, again, the streaming services where they're, they're leaving the movies. Okay, this is going to be for a more general audience, which is why I am going to be fascinated to see how this new Quentin Tarantino movie does. Because, I mean, it, it's an unapologetic R. Any Quentin Tarantino movie has lots of language and lots of violence, and I'm sure there's sex in there as well. You know, is this going to be able to break through in a year where, you know, we're all about, you know, Avengers Endgame and things of the like. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I do think there's a there's a market for these types of movies because, for a few reasons. One is that I do hear and see a lot of people talk about how they're sick of the, the comic book movies, and I think they there are people that want to get out and enjoy a movie, but they may not be interested in this stuff that might be geared more towards younger people. Yeah. And then I thought of some of the movies that I've gone to see that, that kind of fall in that category like um, Hell or High Water, Drive, and Triple Nine. And Hell or High Water, that. a great movie with Christopher Pratt and uh, Jeff Bridges. Great movie. Yeah, the movie's awesome. And and when I saw them, they were, the, those theaters were, were filled, but I, I don't think they, they were in the theaters very long. But I, when I saw them, they were filled. But I think those are just good examples of adults who want to go out and see movies. But I do think the theaters need to make it more accommodating for adults who, who may not have as much time that are busy you know, running families and working full time, and and uh, so they can just get to the theater, see the movie, and get out without having to deal with like twenty five minutes of previews. And yeah, well, that a, a, thanks, we got a, amen to that every time. And I'm going to try to. Um, my wife is going out of town. She's taking um, the grandkids and her daughter, and they're going to go. They're going out of town for a couple of days on like a mini vacation. I was invited, but I can't make it work. So I'm I'm going to be on my own for a day or two, and I. I think maybe grew Sunday afternoon. Uh, after I, I'm going to play golf, and Sunday afternoon, I think I might scoot over and try to see the, the new Quentin Tarantino movie. So that that's that is kind of my goal. But uh, yeah, it's is there room for an R-rated movie? Hey, Journal Sentinel is reporting. This is some breaking news: the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's buildings, which have been downtown, you know, forever, are scheduled to be sold in August. The company, the Journal Sentinel, planning to leave its longtime location for another downtown site. The company's roughly 260 employees, well, they're down to 260, will be moving to the 330 Kilbourne office complex. Huh. Wow. So that is definitely the end of the era. They're selling those buildings that have been there forever and ever the new developers are going to turn it into a mixed-use thing renovated space and the journal sentinel is going to be moving to rented space on kilbourne avenue 330 east kilbourne i know that building well as well huh i'll have some more to say about that tomorrow but that is definitely breaking news changing the changing face of of downtown milwaukee and i remember when i first started here every once in a while they even used to let me into the journal sentinel building downtown and it was it, you know, it was just this big, impressive building, and there were all these people that were bustling around and guards and all that type of stuff, and now it's pretty much a ghost town, and pretty soon it's going to be a ghost town. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.